Hey there, I'm Emlyn Miles Mattingly, your host for the Minority Money Podcast. I'm glad you're here. You know why? Because this is the place you can come to get your weekly finance, family, and fitness motivation, not only to experience success in those areas for yourself, but also to help others in our community achieve greatness too. Super happy that you're on the show with me. So let's jump right in. Welcome back to the Minority Money Podcast. I am your host, Emlyn Miles Mattingly, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. And we're going to keep going right in that same vein. We've been doing the financial planning process. Hope you guys have enjoyed this. And we've had a few guests on to help us explain this. And I've been excited about every one of them. And once again, I am excited to have Danica Waddell on with me. How did we meet? Because I got to remember, I think we met on Twitter. Twitter. It had to be Twitter, right? (laughs) We met on Twitter. Like usually I let the advisor give a little background of themselves. Danica, if you wouldn't mind sharing with the minority money community a little bit about who you are. Thanks, Amon. I'm so happy to be here. I really appreciate you having me on. My name is Danica. I have a firm based in Seattle. It's called Xena Financial Planning. And I've been around for about a little bit more than a year. My focus is primarily women who work in the tech industry. That's me. Up in the Seattle area, right? A lot of tech stuff up there, like a lot of tech companies. And it makes sense to have that. I know there's a few advisors up there that focus on tech in that region of the country. And so today I wanted to bring you on because, you know, we've been going through this process and talking about stuff and trying to help consumers as they're trying to find an advisor. And I just thought that, why not? Like, let's get you on. I've always admired what you do and the work you're doing and the stuff that I see on Twitter. And I thought, well, why not? Let's get you on. (laughs) With that, we're going to jump into the present part of the financial planning process. And as we're presenting recommendations and supporting information for these recommendations, what we wanted to talk about today is just kind of how you take your clients through that process. What are some of the things that that you like to look at and some of the things you like to highlight? And we'll just kind of walk through that if you don't mind. My philosophy in general is that I try to keep it as simple as possible. A lot of people in our industry like to include a lot of charts and graphs and all sorts of pages of documentation to prove what their recommendations are, sort of this backup material. And some people really do want to see a lot of detail, but for the most part, I find that that is just so overwhelming to clients. So I'm a huge fan of the one-page plan. I know that's a pretty popular thing in our industry right now is to sort of just really condense it down and keep it its high-level you have that backup available, right? So if people say, you know, I really don't understand why you're recommending this, or can you tell me why this is so important? And you can show them the reports and the details and why that this particular recommendation is so significant, but you don't necessarily just lay it on them right at the beginning. I'm definitely a pretty big fan of keeping it as simple as possible and allowing the client to ask if they need more depth. I think the like 75 page plan is just way too much. It's too much for me, let alone a client who doesn't have that kind of background. You mean your clients aren't coming to you with questions on page 62 of the 65 page document about an in-depth conversation about that? Like, how did you get this number? No one said that to you? No one does that? Every once in a while, somebody (laughs) picks something out from like a very, very detailed report on page 67 or something like that. But it's so rare. And another firm that I worked at before I started my own, We did do a very comprehensive plan and we delivered it in like a three-hour meeting. And it was exhausting. 95% of clients' eyes are glazed over. They just 
can't keep up with all of the detail that you're walking them through. Another thing that I really like doing in terms of presenting is actually just breaking it up. We don't have to cover everything in one meeting. We might do investments in one meeting and cover insurance and retirement in another meeting, just to kind of spread it out a little bit, allow people to digest the information that you're giving them and not just give them so much information that it's truly overwhelming. I think about that as like you said, three hour presentation. That's crazy, right? How do you sit there? The human mind doesn't work past that. Like an hour is like, you know, max, especially when we're talking about the information dense stuff that we're going over with clients. Sometimes in the industry, I almost think in those three hour meetings, especially CFPs and all that, you've done all this extensive training and you have these credentials. And so now you feel like you have to tell everybody that. But the crazy thing is that when you think about it, like when you go and I always love using the mechanic thing, the mechanic doesn't go in there and talk about the combustion of your engine and talk about the difference. He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't get into the cubic inches of what none of that stuff is being talked about. However, we feel that we need to do it. I'm not saying you, but I'm just saying industry as a whole. I think we do that because we always try to provide, we always try to substantiate the fee and what we're charging and stuff like that. And I think that if you keep it simple, it's okay. I'm a big fan of the one-page plan. We've done that at my firm since we started. The simplicity of that. And when you're going through that, since we're talking about, since I brought up the one-page plan, since you brought it up and then I said I use it, can you talk through that presentation on that one-page plan? Like I know you said it. Go ahead and talk to us about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I've changed it a little bit. I have, you know, been using a one-page plan since day one, but it's evolved somewhat. There's things like I do, I think Sam just talked about it on the last episode of this podcast that he does a SWOT analysis. So Mm -hmm. I do something very similar. I I call it a SCOT analysis, but strengths, challenges, opportunities, and threats. That is one component that I walk the client through on that one-page plan. Their net worth is there, their savings rate. I really like to focus on savings rate. So that's one thing that I added fairly recently. Their values. I have a little, you know, box at the top that just lists some of their top priorities, whether that's work-life balance, time with family, traveling. Carl Richards calls it a statement of purpose, but it's that same kind of idea of like really highlighting what is the goal that we're working towards in terms of not so much about buying a home or retiring someday, but sort of these more qualitative things, sort of spending time with your family. I also have action items on that page that talk about these are the things that I want the client to be working on in the short term. Oh, I've got some pie charts that show a little bit about how their investments are allocated and where, and then sort of a tax breakdown in terms of tax-free versus tax advantage type of accounts. I think that is pretty much everything that goes into the one-page plan. You can get a lot on one page. Yes, absolutely. How does that differ from what you share with your clients? This is pretty much the same. You know, we're going to have your statement of net worth on there. That's going to be one of the things. We have our action items. We have things that they value because we always go through like a values exercise with the clients. And so what we're doing in that one page presentation, a lot of times is reaffirming all the things that they had talked about on that one page and then circling back, like saying, okay, these are the things that basically presenting and then giving the supporting information. This is why we said that you said that retirement or savings was one of your big goals. And so to get there, we need to have this percentage of, you know, very similar to what you do. But one of the things that I think about when we're doing this is how we present it. What I'd like to talk through is I know what you're presenting, but how so you're presenting it, kind of that client conversation. We can pick a specific thing that a client has said that they wanted to do. And now you're presenting that recommendation about it. How does that conversation go? 
the reason why I'm saying that is because we're trying to get those consumers like, did my conversation sound like what Danica said on the show? It didn't sound like that. So is this right? Want to lead them down that way to make sure they're hearing the things that they should be hearing. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's a part of it too. When you're delivering a 75 page plan, there's not a whole lot of conversation. But when I do the one page plan, I mean, I'm stopping and sort of checking in with a client. Does this align with, are we on the right track here? Is this in fact representative of what you want to be working towards? And if there's anything you want to modify, we can do it in the meeting. Like I love to just make adjustments as needed. The other thing that I usually do in that same meeting when I deliver the one-page plan is I also bring up the financial planning software. We play around with that together too. And that's a very collaborative process because I really want clients to be engaged in this. And it is very much a conversation. It's not just me talking for an hour and then they go away and do some stuff. This is a two-way street. By doing... Something like sharing my screen, we look at the financial planning software together, and then we can look at different scenarios. All right, you want to buy the more expensive house? Well, maybe you have to work an extra year or two. So they can start to see, and then they can come back and say, well, you know, actually, maybe we'll reevaluate what we thought. But it is more of just like a conversation, exactly as you said. And I think that is important for people to understand that this is a dialogue. The reason why it should be a dialogue is because this is your financial plan. This is what you want to have happen. So that the idea of sitting down and just listening to someone tell you what they think you need without your input or adjustments to what is going on is not the plan that you probably want. You want to have a plan that's going to be able to have some wiggle room. Things just legitimately happen. I had one client that we were starting to work together and she had like a life event happen in the middle of our planning. She had to stop. It was okay. But it's because I was listening to her. Actually, she didn't want to stop. And I said, I think you need to stop with this new information you're giving me. I think we need to just hold off on what we're doing. And those are the kind of conversations that happen when you're doing the other four steps that lead up to this. Spend a lot of time in the circumstances, spend a lot of time with the goals, we're analyzing stuff. And then we develop this And I think the biggest click for me, I would say, was in the presentation from the three-hour presentation, because I used to do something very, very similar to that, to the one-page plan, is that we let the client talk and we listen to the client and the client drives the conversation. And it's so funny because a lot of times, and this is for consumers out there, a lot of times consumers come in and they tell us what they think we want to hear. And we never really get to the core root of what's going on with their finances. So even in the presentation part, this is kind of your last time to tell us that this isn't right. This isn't what I want. This isn't aligned with my values. Because if you don't, the next thing we're going to do is we're going to start implementing this. And it's going to be incredibly difficult to carry out the recommendations if you did not believe in them as the consumer. And one thing that you said there that I love sort of emphasizing this conversation and this dialogue is it really comes back to this focus on the planning, not on the plan. The plan itself, I mean, it's important. It's part of the process, but things change all the time. And I really love having a process that allows some flexibility, that allows it to be like a dynamic process versus just like you deliver a plan and then you just kind of go off and sort of stay on this same track forever because life just doesn't work that way. Like things change all the time. And so you have to have a plan that can be flexible enough to make those adjustments. Even as you said that, and I was like, man, I used to just give these plans. I give these nice, beautiful binders, binders. which as soon as I give it to you, all the information is going to change. Like your balances in your 401k, your net worth statements, 
not the same. As soon as I give this, it just really kind of changed how much value I placed on that binder and then placed the value in the dialogue and conversation with the client. That was the biggest transition from being a salesperson to being an advisor. You said it beautifully. <laughs> it was a transition. You have to make the transitions. These are pretty quick episodes. As people are looking out there, what kind of tips do you have? Last time we did two. If you have two, that's fine. If you have one, that's fine. But what kind of tips would you give to people as it pertains to what we've been talking about? You know, it's so interesting. I mean, I meet with prospects all the time who I say, you don't really need my kind of advice yet, or maybe it's a little bit costly for this stage of your life. But here's a couple of things you can do in the meantime. And my number one advice to anybody is to pay yourself first. That means making sure that you're saving, making sure that you're taking care of those basics, paying down debt and things like that versus thinking about the goals of buying a house and all these other things. Like those are important, but making sure that the number one thing that you're doing is setting money aside for yourself for the future. And that just sets you up. The sooner you start doing that, the better your outcomes are going to be long-term. That's my number one advice to everybody, regardless of what stage you're at, is just to make sure that you're doing that before you start to think about all the other things like insurance and tax planning and all those things. I mean, the saving is just so foundational. Absolutely. Any other tips? I love that one, by the way. Don't get me wrong. I love the tip. That could be it. I don't want to cut you short. I know there's tons of stuff in there. So let me know. I guess my other one would be, I have a lot of conversations with my clients about spending and cash flow and how much they can afford to do certain things. And I think my number one tip with regards to that is that, I mean, I'm all about people treating themselves to things that they love and doing what's important to them. But, you know, allowing yourself to do that, but then not necessarily spending with reckless abandon in every single area of your life. But if you really love one thing, whether it's the daily latte or you love getting takeout or you love nice Air Jordans, whatever, by all means, go for it. But that doesn't mean you spend that way in every single category. Conscious spending. That's what we, the conscious spending, be conscious about it because you don't want to have everything. That's awesome. I like that. And it's so crazy because in the beginning, you started this conversation by saying you like to keep things simple. And those two tips, like pay yourself first. It's just crazy. So thank you so much, Danica. Thank you so much. It was an honor to have you on. I was looking forward to having you on so long. So we will have you back though, if you will come back, because I want you to just come on and talk about women in tech. So I'm asking you now, and we'll hopefully we can make that happen later. Emily, it is my honor to be here. I think what you're doing in this space is amazing. Really, really honored. Absolutely. And I will come back anytime. Awesome. So having me. Awesome. Thank you very much. As you all know, this is the Minority Money Podcast, where we are changing the complexion of wealth. I'm your host, Emily Miles Mattingly. Until next time. Another great showdown, but it doesn't have to stop there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you're listening on now. And give it a good rating, would you? If you feel really connected to the podcast, which I hope you do, find our Facebook community, Minority Money VIP, to support and be supported by others just like you. And again, we're glad to have you. While this podcast is meant to inspire and motivate you to live your best life, it can't be your complete one-stop shop. I know, I know, that really sucks. But I don't know anything about your specific situation. So please reach out to an attorney or CPA Or you can reach out to me, a financial planner, to help you with your specific situation. To get a hold of us, please reach us at fan at Minority Money Podcast. That's F-A-N at Minority Money Podcast so we can get to know you there. Thanks for being here and until next time.